Christmas week uh, for a number of reasons is, uh, is that you get some family turn up sometimes um, and you have food and you have presents and all that type of stuff's unfolding and it's just great. And Christmas this week is Friday and uh, so we'll be able to join together, as Ben said, on the Friday morning at 8.30. But uh, it's just great for obviously other reasons is as the Christian church celebrates the birth of Jesus. And I just thought this morning we'd, we'd actually look at that because some of that we've been... I told you last week I was going to finish this um, series on boundaries and foundations we should never move. I, I lied. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, actually, didn't think of it at the moment, at the time. I thought I was, but I just couldn't get away from the fact that, that the, the very birth of Christ is foundational to what we believe. In actual fact, if Christ was never born, we could actually go home right now uh, because it, it's, it's at the very core of the Christian faith. Um, I am so impressed by the Christian faith because you can take other belief systems in the world and there's, there's nothing like it. There's no one um, who, who literally claims the claims that Jesus claimed and, uh, and uh, did what he did. was incredible. So we want to read the, the story. And so Luke chapter 1, I just want to read this, the, the um, nativity story, whatever you'd like to call it. Uh, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 26. And then we're going to go to Matthew uh, chapter 1 and just read part of that Matthew's account because out of the four guys Matthew Mark Luke and John uh, only two of them really recorded the whole story of Mary and Joseph and the events that surrounded the birth of Jesus and that was Luke who was a doctor and Matthew who was an ex-tax uh, collector uh, Matthew was one of the disciples Luke wasn't he just later became a disciple and an apostle but um, so we'll read Luke's account uh, chapter 1 verse 26 it says this. How about we pray? <laughs> I didn't say that. I just thought I would. Father, I just thank you. I just thank you for this day today. I thank you for what you've done for us and even done in us. And uh, Lord, as we come around your word, that you'd uh, quicken your truth to hearts and lives. And Father, it just wouldn't be information today, but transformation through the whole Holy Spirit and your word. Amen. Amen. Great. It says in verse 26, Luke chapter 1. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed. I'm reading from the New, New King James. Betrothed is simply pledged to be married. You've got to understand Jewish culture, something about Jewish culture. When you were pledged to be married, what we would call engaged, it was almost like you were married. It just wasn't consummated, okay? So it was, it was a, they were definitely in a committed, very committed um, agreement, Mary and Joseph. And so Gabriel came to this virgin, uh, committed to a man whose name was Joseph, the house of David, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Um, but when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting it was. And then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and they'll call his name what? Jesus, hey? And he will be great, which means Savior. Uh, he will be great, and he'll be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he'll reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel said, Sorry, the angel answered and said to her, Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is 
to be born would be called the Son of God. Notice that verse. You've got the three of them working together. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's impregnating. Uh, God's overshadowing it. And then, of course, God the Son is being you know, conceived in the womb. Um, now, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. And Elizabeth's son was John the Baptist. Okay, so Jesus and, and, uh, and John the Baptist cousins. For with God, nothing will be what? Impossible. Nothing's impossible for God. Uh, and Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Wow. Wow. And the angel departed from her. I mean, here is this young teenage Jewish girl, like, what is happening? And in the end, she just says, let it be according to your word. What faith and trust, hey? Now, um, let's go to Matthew chapter 1, and let's read his account, because he gives a little bit more detail in a different area, 18 to 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son, and you'll call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all of this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be called... Uh, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and I will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took him to, took, and took to him his wife, and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. In other words, they weren't involved sexually in any way um, until. Jesus was born. And let's go into chapter 2 of Matthew. Just continue right on in chapter 2, verses 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. He was Herod the Great, by the way. Um, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Can I just share with you, the wise men didn't come straight after Jesus' birth. It came possibly up to a year after. Okay, just so we understand that. Sometimes you see the shepherds and the wise men all in the, all in the uh, nativity scene and in the stable together. Not true, but okay, just so you know. Saying, uh, the, wise, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And when Herod the king heard this, okay, Herod, I like to call him, they call him Herod the Great. I like to call him Herod the Insecure. So when Herod the king said he was troubled, and all Jerusalem was troubled with him. I want to talk about this morning with you this. Uh, I want to talk, I've entitled, The Problem with Jesus' Birth. There was a problem. There's a number of problems with Jesus' birth. And uh, there was a number of people who were troubled by Jesus' birth. Uh, three people, actually, in fact. Mary, uh, the very young teenage Jewish girl who was to give birth to Jesus, was troubled. Joseph. The man who had betrothed his life to Mary and, and vice versa was troubled. And then there was this wonderful person called Herod, the insecure, who was incredibly troubled by the birth of Jesus. Uh, three people, but for completely different reasons, were agitated by this, this, uh, the news of this birth and the claims. And more importantly, the claims that Jesus made, or not Jesus himself, but the angel Gabriel, 
uh, made several claims. One claim to Mary, and then another angel made some claims to Joseph. And then the prophets themselves made some claims, which Herod knew about, uh, that uh, certain claims. And these are claims today that lay foundations for what we even do today. Over 2,000 years ago, if these claims and these things did not come to pass or were not true, uh, we of all people are wasting our time. But we're not because they're so foundational and they're so wonderfully true. It's just incredible. And so today, I want us to take the moment to look at these claims and see what happened because they created some heartache and some problems for the people who heard these things said. And the first claim was this, that Jesus was the Son of God. Uh, The second claim was this, that um, not only was Jesus the Son of God, but that he could take away the sins of the world. And the third claim uh, was that he was actually Emmanuel, uh, not just a God in heaven anymore, but a God who actually came and walked among us. So there's the three. Let's look at them for a moment, and let's see how they unfolded in the life of these three people present at Jesus' birth. Oh, well, not present at Jesus' birth, but in that, that period of time, they were there. And the first one was Luke chapter 135, because Gabriel the angel came uh, to Mary. What a moment in history. Never be a, a possibly another moment like that ever again, uh, but, but it will, there never will be, uh, because the next time Jesus comes, he'll come uh, as an as a, uh, all-conquering king, won't he? Uh, for, and uh, his return will be amazing. But Gabriel the angel came to, um, to Mary and claimed something very important. As I said, claimed that it said this, that Jesus was the, actually the son of God. So Mary was troubled by the greeting of the angel when she said, when, you know, when the, the angel came and uh, said, you are favored one, oh favored one. And Andrew mentioned that this morning. Um, and you would, why, why was Mary troubled? Why was she troubled by this statement by the angel Gabriel, you're favored of God? Um, and as I co- contemplated, as I thought about it, the reality is, is that I often think that's the reaction when people are, are just humble people. They think, why would I be favored? <laughs> I think that was Mary's response. As I said, she was a young teenage Jewish girl. She had no royal blood. Her parents were not of, of any great wealth. And simple living per- young lady. And yet God comes up, or the angel Gabriel is sent by God and says, oh, favored one of God. She was just, she would have been thinking, what, what, who am I? What worth if I, that you would come amongst me? You know, God would send an angel to speak to me. What worth am I? But I've often d- discovered in Scripture, discovered in life, that God uses the ones who are simply open, responsive, and humble before Him. And that not self-demoting, but people who are just simply just w- willing to be what uh, trustworthy of God. And that's what Mary was. She was a, a trustworthy young lady, and that's why God chose her. She didn't think she was choosable, but God chose her. Sometimes you don't think you're choosable, but you know God has chosen every one of us. God's chosen every one of us. He actually, folk, He's chosen everyone on the face of the earth. It's just that you've got to make yourself choosable sometimes, and you've also got to actually uh, just make the decision to be chosen and receive Him. People stand back from that, don't they? I pray that this Christmas people won't do that. that they'll enter in and say, hey, I'm, cho- I'm choiceable. I'm cho- whatever the adjective might be. Uh, thanks, Jeff. <laughs> so we see she was troubled. The second reason she was troubled is because, is because Mary um, was then told by the angel Gabriel that you'll conceive and give birth to a son and name him Jesus. I mean, 
<clears throat> just wait a second, let's back up here a moment, angel, you know, Gabriel, <laughs> you know, I do not know a man. And uh, he says, don't worry. Uh, she said, you know, you'll conceive of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's all good. We've got it sorted. Uh, and you can imagine Mary's concern. <laughs> you know, this is, not, this is not normal. And the answer to this question, would have, uh, this would have been confronting to Mary. You mean to say, you know, uh, look, how about you just wait for about six months? I'll be, I'll be uh, you know, I'll be totally committed to Joseph and, you know, uh, it'll be all, all good, you know. I, I can conceive. Joseph will be my husband then, but we can't do that kind of thing right now. No, 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 that's not the plan, Mary. It's, it's going to be a miraculous birth through the Holy Spirit. This is the plan. You could imagine that was a confronting thing for Mary. You know, very confronting. Um, and the answer that the Abriel, the Gabriel the angel continued to give is that he then said to Mary, and more... Above all of that, did you know that this Jesus will be the son of God? Not the son of Mary, not the son of, certainly not the son of Joseph, but it'll be the son of God. That's an incredibly foundational statement. Uh, and it was, it was shared right at the birth of Jesus, or the conception of Jesus. You know, I often think that when there's, when there's important moments in history, the things that are said around those important moments, we need to take notice of. And this is one of the things that was said to, to uh, Mary, that this little baby will be the son of God. Now, I'm sure that he was known as the son of Mary and is known as the son of Joseph. But ultimately, he was always the son of God. Um, and of course, this conception was, not, it was not, not in the rule book for how you conceive. And I mean, she, Mary would have been thinking, how would Joseph respond to this conception? Um, there was a possibility that Joseph would say, I'm out of here. <laughs> this, is ma this marriage is, if you've been doing what you're doing and you've got a baby in your womb, oh, this is not for me. In actual fact, he did consider that, didn't he? So thus, Jesus would have, if, if that was the case, Mary would have been thinking about it. I think she would have been thinking 100 miles an hour. If there's no, if there's no earthly father, what will Joseph think? And he'll think that I've been, you know, whatever, I've been with other men and all these type of things and no guarantee of a husband for Mary. If Joseph pulled out of this this um, engagement period, no, and, and you know, in Jewish culture, it was so vital for for precious ladies and men to be together so that they could be the support of the lady and support of the children to have a husband. And Joseph was a very noble and upright uh, he would have man. So, so all of these things would have been going through Mary's mind. <laughs> what am I to do? What's happening? You know, you've created, I, I don't think it, it is wrong to think that Mary probably thought, God, you've created some problems for me here. Just a few. But in the end, her response is incredible because she says, let it be to me according to your word. What a statement of faith. What a statement. So the claim was Jesus, that, that this, whole, this whole thing, Mary's heart was just say, let it be, let it happen. I wonder if we could ever be like that in life when we know that God's speaking to our heart. and We say, you know what? Let it be. Let it be. Even when you know there's a difficulty coming, but out of that difficulty will come incredible, um, amazing things. Ama and isn't it so often out of the struggle comes the beauty, out of the, out of the issue comes the miracle. Isn't that true? And that's exactly what happened in this story. So, so this claim now was that Jesus is the Son of God. And for that to happen inside of Mary was a miracle. The Son of God is inside Mary's womb. 
And, you know, as I thought about this, what about the miracles that we need? Uh, maybe the sickness that plagues our life and we just would love to see healing. What about maybe sometimes the, the hurts that we harbor just being dealt with? Or maybe the circumstances surrounding relationships that need to be mended or changed for the better? I don't, I don't know. It, you know, I want to say this. It starts where Mary started. It starts with acknowledging and understanding that Jesus was not just a nice man on earth. He was the Son of God. And that we, anything less would mean we could never know His healing touch, His healing power, His, his um, presence in our life. Anything less than that. We, he needs to be the Son of God. And if, the, and if He's the Son of God, He is God. And like the angel said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. With God, nothing is impossible. And I wanted to declare that this morning, that this baby that was born, the same statement echoes down through history and says to us today, nothing is impossible with God. You notice it says with God. I often think that we think, well, God, you just do it. No, I think God works with us. He works with us uh, uh, in our lives. We sometimes say, well, God, if it's you, you just do it. No, no, no. He, he invests he wants to invest in you to work with him. And that's why we need to talk to him. That's why we need to worship him. That's why we need to praise him. That's why we need to understand his word, read his word. Because he wants to engage with us. And we'll talk about that a little bit more. So we need nothing less than God to fix our broken hearts, our broken lives, our broken whatever. And ultimately, heaven is because of he is the son of God. That's, that can be our destination. And you think about Mary. Mary needed God not just for this miraculous conception, but her, her whole life she needed God to negotiate the rest of her life. Can you appreciate the ridicule of being judged as an immoral woman by many? Did you know that to this day there's groups of people around the world who still feel that Mary conceived by a man, if it wasn't Joseph, it was someone else, and they won't acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you know that lie was, was spread right throughout, um, right from the Pharisees, right throughout history? You can look in, in, in John chapter 8, verse 48. There was this argument between, between Jesus. He was now 30 plus years of age. And there was this argument happening between him and the Pharisees. Um, Jesus didn't argue so much. He just kind of negotiated or debated. But they were arguing. And you know what? The Pharisees come to Jesus and said, we were not born. Um, we are not born of a fornicator. Like and, and they could have just added on the end, like you. You look at that. You look at that verse. I love to. It's John eight forty eight, I believe. I haven't got it, but you know, here on my uh, on the screen. But you know, they were stating the very reality of what thirty years earlier had happened. They were having a go at Jesus, and you, we were not born as a fornicator. And the words they could have added there was like you. Because. Because if Mary didn't, wasn't married and she had uh, conceived by Joseph or any other man, that's fornication, isn't it? So anyway, we see the ridicule that she would have faced. The uncertainty of living in a foreign country as she tried to keep Mary and Joseph, tried to keep Jesus safe. They fled to Egypt, remember, to get away from Herod. Uh, maybe the, the understanding that Mary needed that was, all was happening to her it was God's, in God's plan. She needed God throughout her life to negotiate life. What about when she stood under the cross when Jesus was finally crucified? What understanding would the heart of a mother need right then? That somehow, in God's incredible um, unfolding of this salvation story, this was necessary. How would a mother, Mary, she needed God. I tell you, you'd need, we need God no less than Mary did. Mary isn't, Mary isn't so special. She is, but you're just as special because we, God... Picks you out, as I said. He chooses us as well. 
So the first thing that's so foundational was that he was the son of God. The second thing we see, and the second problem that was created in the pro- tra- and problem was for Joseph now. And as we look at Matthew chapter 121, uh, an angel, it doesn't say which angel, but an angel turned up in Joseph's dream now. He has a dream. And, and this very clear dream comes to him. And he claims, and in the dream, um, there's a number of things said, and we'll talk about that. But one of the most significant and uh, important things for us is that the angel said, that Je- um, said about Jesus, is he will take away the sins of the world. Take away the sins of the world. Um, that, that in itself is an incredible statement because you've got to appreciate Jewish culture said, see, sins and taking them away was a big thing in their culture because what they were doing is they take a lamb every year, give it to the priest, the lamb would be slaughtered and the lamb represented, they'd put all the sins on the lamb and their sins would be forgiven for another year. So they, you know, every Jewish person knew the realities of the forgiveness of sins was so vital, so important. Because they were reminded every year. They had to do it every year. They had to do the same thing. Forgiveness of their sins. And so now when the angel said to Joseph, he'll forgive the sins of the world. Joseph's like, what is this about? Does that mean we won't need a lamb anymore? What does this mean? He'll forgive the sins of the world? I mean, Joseph would have known that not every person was Jew. It's only Jews who are forgiven of their sins, not Gentiles. And yet, this was the statement that was made. Praise God, unless you're a Jew today, praise God. Because we're the Gentiles that, that God was talking about, right? The angel was talking about to Joseph right there. That the sins of 2,000 plus years later, we'd be sitting here thanking God that there came a baby who was going to take the sins of the world because we can live free and unashamed and forgiven. So, G- Joseph was troubled as much as Mary was troubled, but he was troubled for a different reason. Joseph, <coughs> it says in verse 19, um, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man. Notice it says husband. That's how that, once again, that Jewish culture bit uh, kicks in there because he was classed as a husband. Was not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Interesting statement. You say, it doesn't say Joseph was troubled. Oh, he was troubled, all right. <laughs> if you know that your wife-to-be is 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 pregnant and you weren't involved with her that's trouble <laughs> maybe joseph thought i'm going to find that that carry i can give him a piece of my mind i don't know but the bible doesn't often fill in the gap sometimes the bible just makes the necessary statements for us to understand and sometimes we're left just to think through what actually being said here because what's being said here Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. In other words, break off the, the marriage and the engagement. What was happening? Well, Scripture, as I said, we've got to fill in the gap. They could have written this. I, I've rewritten the Bible. <laughs> you can come and stone me later, but <laughs> no, it's all right. They could have said this. They could have said that Joseph was totally upset by the pregnancy of Mary because he could see no other reason for her conception other than she had been sleeping around, which horrified him. But it doesn't say that. It just says what I said, Matthew Matthew 1, verse 19. See, Matthew, the writer of this gospel, assumes that we'll pick up on the fact that that says Joseph didn't want to uh, make this any harder for Mary, so he's going to break off the commitment of marriage quietly so her public disgrace was minimized. 
That's another version of verse 19. But then Joseph had a dream, and everything changed. An angel came and spoke to him and said, come on, marry the girl. It's a miraculous conception. She has not been immoral. And then, this, then comes the clincher. Jesus, uh, this Jesus and Mary will save the people from their sins. And here's the point I want you to grab. grab. If you don't take away anything else, grab this. Here's the point. Joseph saw his wife. You've got to appreciate, up to that point, that night as he's going to, before he falls asleep, he's got his head on his pillow in his bed, and he's thinking, my wife is pregnant, she's a fornicator, she's a moral woman, I thought she was pure, she, I thought that was, everything was going to go so well, what is happening here? In actual fact, she's a sinner. And that was a word they used, Mr. Mark. She's a sinner. And as he goes to sleep, he's thinking about that. Here's the point. Joseph saw his wife to be a sinner, and yet now in the dream... She's going to have a baby born to her for the express purpose of forgiving people like her. So we see his, Joseph would have thought, this is, this is incredible. The sinner is going to give birth to a baby that's going to take away the sin of the world. And he, he would have been thinking, how is this possible? How, God, are you, this is such hypocritical hypocrisy here. You can, Mary's been involved somewhere with someone, and you, you're going to give her a baby, and he's going to take away the sin of the world? This doesn't work. And you can think of all these things that Joseph would have been thinking about. And so the truth is, out of the sinner comes a man who will take away the sin. The truth is, while jo Mary didn't involve herself with someone else, the conception was miraculous. The truth is, Mary, like you and I, were born into sin. And we don't literally have to go out and do sin. We've got, unfortunately, because of Adam who sinned and disobeyed God, we have that tendency uh, to go <laughs> towards sin. And we all need forgiveness, don't we? We all need that forgiveness. Even if we've never, as people say, I've never murdered anybody. I've never done anything really bad. I was just talking to a guy yesterday morning. And I said, oh dear, I was at Park Run. Uh, the group who run, go for a run. I said, and uh, I said, did you go to church? He says, no, 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 no. I've never done anything wrong. I just live by the golden rule. What's that? You're going to die and go to hell? No, 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 I didn't say that. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't say that. <laughs> he says, I live by that kind of golden rule, you know, don't hurt anybody and they won't hurt you. I do the right thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, that's just my sadistic thought process, you know, but it's true. Yeah, but anyway, let's. Um, so Joseph would have. Uh, so you know, and 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 uh, what was I saying? <laughs> Such a sin, sin. That's it. So we're all we're all engaged in it, you know. And, and and so we see this incredible statement that's foundational to the very reason that we exist, and for the mercy that God shows us, is you know. And the truth is, He doesn't want anybody to go to hell. He doesn't make hell for us. He makes hell for the devil and his demons. He makes heaven for you and me. Just, I don't want anybody to choose hell by not choosing Jesus. Um, so the second thing we have to grapple with is that Jesus can forgive all our sins. Do you know 30 years after Jesus was born, he's walking along the banks of the um, Jordan. And John the Baptist comes along and points to Jesus. First meeting that we see recorded in Scripture. And points to Jesus and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. Where did John the Baptist get that statement? He got it from God. He knew. And also prophetically, you know, he knew what this, this Jesus was all about. So that, that same statement, he takes away the sin of the world that was proclaimed by the angel to Joseph is now being proclaimed audibly by John the Baptist as, and all the people around John the Baptist would have been hearing it and listening in on it. So if Jesus 
it was not the Son of God, then he would not have been able to forgive sin. But he was, and he does. He was the Son of God, and he does forgive sin. I, uh, I just love the reality of those simple principles. Here's the third thing that we've got to take a hold of today. And it just talks about in Matthew chapter 1, 23. This is the third claim, and it claims that God was Emmanuel. Sorry, Emmanuel, translated God with us, okay? Um, the God of the universe wanted to be with mankind, uh, wanted to relate to us. He just didn't want to be the Son of God in heaven. He just, um, he just didn't want to take away the sins of the world, but he actually wanted to walk among us for at least 33 years um, and be a part of humanity, feel what we feel, um, have the emotions that we have, and yet never sin himself, which is just incredibly wonderful. Um, so the God of the universe wanted to be with mankind. Herod the Great was troubled he, by this so-called God with us, who he heard was to be the king of the Jews, remember? That's what the scripture says. Herod knew what the prophets had said, because the wise men, I think, might have spoken to him. He said, he's going to be, it's probably prophesied, he'll be king of the Jews. And he's the son of God. Um, Herod was a very insecure king, as I've mentioned several times. He thought any person looking like possibly taking his throne, he would seek to kill them. That's literally, he was a crazy king. In his mind, all competition had to be eradicated. Okay? Had to be, so this was a problem for Herod. Um, do you know that there was such a problem in Herod's family? They were a crazy bunch of um, people. Um, you know, there was even times where the Herods that followed King Herod the Great uh, used to almost try to take godly status, almost um, thought they were divine. Do you know um, Josephus, uh, um, that's not in the Bible, but it's written in history. Josephus wrote about Herod Agrippa, who was the great-grandson of Herod the Great. And you know, Herod Agrippa actually, um, one day, put on his royal garments, sat on this massive big throne in, he, in his palace, and all these people come before him, and they started to yell out, he speaks like God. He is God. He's the, word, he's, he's the God that we've never known kind of thing. Do you know, Herod went, you got it right. His ego was bigger than his head, I tell you. He was massive. And you know what? And there on the moment, it says in Scripture, in Acts chapter 12, he was struck dead and eaten by worms. You read it. Because he did not, he, he did not acknowledge that God was God, and, and it, basically he was acknowledging that he was God. Interesting, interesting statement, but if you read in that, do you realize probably why he was eaten by worms? Because he was the king that probably gave the command for all things to happen. And because he was dead, no one was there to command to take his body away. So they probably just left him draped over the throne or on the floor. They just left him right away and the worms came and ate him, you know. Terrible way to die, isn't it? But that's the reality. So I say that to say this, is that even Herod himself, Herod the Great that we're talking about here, who was so insecure, had two of his sons murdered because he was concerned they were going to take his throne some years before Jesus was born, which was just a forerunner to what Herod was able to then do. You often wonder, how could Herod go and command soldiers to go and kill all the babies under the age of two, little boys in Bethlehem? How, how cruel is that? But Herod had a history of it. He killed his own two sons. You know, if I kill my own two sons, I go and kill all their sons in Bethlehem under the age of two, simply for the reason to try and eradicate Jesus himself. It never happened. Herod could never eradicate Jesus, even though he tried profusely all the time. Um, and so we see 
Uh, we have to grapple with the fact that he was Emmanuel, God with us, just like Herod did. Um, Herod wasn't God, God, Jesus was God. And the truth is, this is another incredible, um, I believe, incredible tr truth to this whole passage. The truth is that God walked amongst us. Not to con like Herod, he, he, all competition had to be eradicated in Herod's eyes. But Jesus didn't walk amongst us to compete with us. He walked amongst us to compete for us. Because you see, he came to, to give us forgiveness and mercy and stop the works of the de devil destroying our lives. It's, it talks about he took the death that we should have taken for our sin. And he took it on the cross and he took the fight right up to the devil. And it literally says he defeated death and hell so we would never have to go there and that we would have a destination heaven. Jesus Christ competed for us all the time. He, didn't, he never wants to compete against us. He wants to compete for us. And he's still competing for your heart. He's still bringing your prayers before God and say, Father, receive them. Father, change their lives. Do something to help them, strengthen them. He still competes for us. And so I want to just encourage us today, this Christmas as we come into this season, the very foundational truths that we think are just throwaway statements sometimes in Scripture because you like all the other little things in the Nativity story. You know, the, the stable and the manger and the little baby Jesus and the stars and the songs of all the angels as they sang and the shepherds heard them and came to the... Yeah, I love all that. But you know, in the midst of all that, there were some powerful statements that lay a foundation for what you believe and what we believe today. That if we take away that we of all pity should be, all people should be pitied because we're just, that it's not true. But it is true that Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus could take away the sins of the world. And Jesus was Emmanuel, God who came amongst us. I tell you what, that's good news today. And all for the purpose of, of you and me, our lives were important to him. He loved us too much to leave us to our own devices. He sent Jesus, didn't he? Can I have the team come, please? That'd be great. This Christmas... Let's remember. Let's take the moments to remember. For the, the, you know, the old saying, the catch cry, the reason for the season is God revealed it through Jesus Christ. God is revealed through Jesus Christ. Some people say to me, oh, what's God like? I said, well, if you look at what Jesus is like, that's what God's like. Jesus came to show us what God's like. And uh, I see God. He was the Son of God. He was everything that I could never be but he wants to be in me. God loves people even though they live and walk in darkness. To be, They sent Jesus to be the light of the world, hey? Uh, God loves families, so he sent Jesus not only to be in a family, Mary and Joseph, but to make all of us a part of God's family. God loves needy, hurting, suffering people, so he sent Jesus to comfort and courage and to heal. God loves people who suffer injustice, oppression, cruelty, to be sent Jesus. So he sent Jesus to break the chains and set people free. I love the reality of what Jesus has done. Can we uh, just uh, pray this morning? I want to just pray for you today. As we, um, you know, right, Jesus just isn't really the reason for this season. Jesus is the reason for every season. Every season, every life, every season that I go through, I just, we all need Jesus Christ. We need the Son of God in our lives. The good times, the bad times, not just the Christmas times, not just the Easter times, in the family times, in the work times that are difficult. We need Him. We need Him. Because he's, he's always out of the hardness, out of the struggle. He brings the miracle sometimes as we submit and commit unto Him and yield unto Him. So let me just pray today. Father.
we just for a moment close our eyes. I thank you for every precious person today here. I thank you, Lord, that you have always chosen us. Help us to, to choose you. Help us not, to, Lord, to just engage and then forget about you, but to let you into our lives. Because it says in Revelations, you stare at the door and knock. And he who opens the door, you'll come into them and you'll have a meal that you'll sit down and you'll communicate. Thank you. We need you, Lord. We thank you that you came, Jesus, as a little baby. But more importantly, we thank you that you grew as a man, that you um, faced the, the cruel reality of death on a cross, and then, Lord, buried after being buried, you rose again to defeat death, that you compete for us. You've competed for us, and you still do today. Because you don't want us going, uh, Lord, living destructive lives. You want us to live a blessed life. Because you want to favor us, Lord. And we thank you for that. And help us today to walk in that wonderful miracle of Jesus Christ. Now, realizing that you can do the same for us, that nothing is impossible for you, God. We thank you today. And we, again, uh, give you all the honor and all the glory and all the praise. And everyone who agreed said, Amen.